right, and welcome back to a brand new episode of Rebel with a Cause. I am your host, Eric, and joining me this evening, Rudy Fenimore from the Concordia blog. How's it going, buddy? Doing great. Thanks for the invite. I'm happy to be here. Yeah, so uh, I met Rudy down at the uh, the Tom Woods 2000 uh, episode uh, event that happened in uh, Orlando, Florida a few weeks ago. And uh, Rudy, like so many others, I was collecting business cards the whole time I was there. It's like every time I met somebody, they were shoving a business card in my hand. And I was like, okay, great. Now I've got a nice little collection of them. <laughs> and uh, Rudy just happened to be one of those guys, and he was a, a writer and a blogger. And I was like, okay, well, this is right up my alley. So had to get you on. So welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. And, and when we chatted, I was like, man, we got to talk more. So <laughs> here we are. Yeah, so uh, from the blog, uh, kind of describe that for those who may not have uh, read it yet. So I've, I've actually been blogging for about the past four or five months, and primarily it's to promote my book. But um, the blog itself is really, it's, it's just about whatever the weekly news is. And if the news is, is slow that week, I'll take on some sort of liberty philosophy type, type um, blog for that week. So I've been, I publish the blog every Friday. Um, I usually put it out on Twitter. And I have a newsletter as well that I'll, I'll send it out on. So it's e either nice. one of those options. Nice. Pretty good stuff. I was uh, kind of skimming over everything. And then he's uh, got a book out as well. Or did, is the book coming? Is that not out yet? The book's out. Oh, yeah. Um, the book is out. Okay. Actually got it right here. Yeah. There you go. Concordia. So if you can see it. Yeah. There must yeah. be a better and, way. There's got to be a better way. The cool thing is there's my little picture. So it's, it's pretty cool to uh, be on Amazon and be able to see a picture of yourself because this is the first book I've written and it's, it is self-published. So it's, you know, I'm, I'm everything, the editor. I mean, I did, I did have a lot of help on it, but still it's, it's a lot of work. <laughs> yeah. Uh, is, is it fiction or nonfiction? It is absolutely fiction. So it, it's a novel. Great. Uh, is it kind of pull from real life or did you just kind of make up everything uh, on the spot? So that's, that's really an interesting question. A lot of the characters are based on people that I know, and I am not going to divulge any of those people to anybody. Um, and some characters pull from multiple people, uh, but but everything is fictitious. I mean, it's it's set in modern day Chile, so it's you know it's set in a real place, but pretty much everything else is made up. Um, I probably spent about six months doing research on the country of Chile because I've never been. Yeah. Um, but, but I read several books. I, uh, I extensively used YouTube or, I mean, YouTube was just amazing. The stuff people put out on there. Yeah. Everybody who's gone on vacation to Santiago or the, uh, the shore over there in Chile has probably posted something. So. Yeah. And there was actually some guy who, who did his own blog about expats moving to Chile and what, yeah. what would an American need to know if they ever spent time in the, in the country? And I was like, all right, I mean, a lot of it was nonsense, but there were so many nuggets in there that it was worth it was worth my time. Yeah, and uh, I can imagine if you're like doing research for for a book like that, it may not be what you're the video that you're actually watching. You're probably looking for details in the background of the video. Get to, get some ideas that way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no doubt, no doubt. Um, yeah, you know, the cool thing is it, it's a it's a country I want to go visit for sure. I mean, I I like to travel in general. Like, I love international travel. But, you know, since I, I have three kids and a wife and it's, you know, it's kind of hard to do that now. But before we got married, we traveled all the time. Yeah. So it's 
it is the kind of thing that once once we get back into the swing of travel and this whole COVID crap is behind us, that I definitely want to go see the place. <laughs> yeah, I've been calling it the nonsense. It's just like, whenever the nonsense is over, I'll start making plans again. You know, <laughs> I still think the best word for it is just scamdemic. I, yeah, I just, I mean, totally. <laughs> just about if it, if the virus itself wasn't made up, it's just the complete reaction to it has been like so overblown. It's it's like the one kid that's a hypochondriac to, who thinks that they've got anthrax when they've got like a little sniffle or something. You know? Right. <laughs> well, you're gonna catch it. No, no, probably not. So I, I think my kids have come home from school about five or six times with some sort of sniffle. My wife immediately goes out and gets them tested. Yeah, so ridiculous. <laughs> I'm like, why? What difference does it make? Yeah. They're, they're still sick. Yeah. It's like, here's the numbers. You know, this is the CDC's own inflated stupid numbers. And, you know, yeah. even then, they're not 0.002% of chance of dying. You know. I think I heard somebody call it a, a number epidemic or something like that. Where it's oh, yeah, case-demic. Case, that's it, case-demic, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that was one of the phrases that I kept hearing because uh, every time that somebody would pop positive for a, for a test, they would say, oh, this is a new case. Yeah, I got some people with that at work, and it was like, okay, so you just read 4,000 new cases in Louisiana. What is a case to you? What what image right. comes up in your mind? And that, of course, it was like, oh, well, somebody in, you know, in the hospital on a ventilator. I was like, no, 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 it's, it's a nope. positive test in this case. Yeah, it's a kid going to school for a week and then realizing they had COVID. Yeah, and then I'll even pull up the example of my uh, younger brother, who was actually in the hospital and had a case of COVID. Uh, they tested him twice. They tested him once before they admitted him and tested him while he was in there. So that was two positive tests right there. So it's two cases. You know, and then people didn't want to believe me about that. I was like, no, 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 it's two cases. <laughs> well, I mean, the, the real shit of it is when somebody dies and they have COVID, it doesn't matter what the reason is. They'll still say they died of COVID. Yeah. Yeah. That's like, oh, died, died with COVID. Uh, okay. All right. I see what kind of games you're playing. Yeah. In the, uh, in the early 90s, they would pull this crap about uh, secondhand smoke being a, a killer of people. And so anytime that uh, they found out somebody like in that person's life was a smoker, they would always put like uh, secondhand smoke as a possible. Right. Yeah. It was like, no, he died of a motorcycle accident. He was speeding <laughs> and wrecked into a guardrail. But he was smoking a cigarette. Yeah. So I was like, no, he's, he's got a friend who was smoking. And I was like, okay, all right, pad your numbers. That seems like what you're doing, but yeah. So silly. So uh, overall, what's the uh, the general theme of the book? Is it like uh, action, thriller, horror, maybe? No, definitely not horror. That's that's not my genre. So yeah. it's it's a it's a political thriller, nice. um, and the the book kind of builds and then it slingshots you through the end of it. So it's it's got a lot of action at the end of the book, um, okay. and I, I kind of like to say that there's. It, the, the book is about liberty. I mean, it's kind of what I'm passionate about. It's why yeah. I wrote the book. Um, but I wanted it to be entertaining because I, I really, I've reached a point in my life where I just can't read another nonfiction book. I just can't. <laughs> um, so I, I think we got to reach people with fiction, yeah. right? So I, I, I wanted to make characters that were, uh, number one, real, like people you would meet in real life. And I wanted to put them in situations that exposed what the state is really like and what a real liberty solution would be to those problems. Right. So that's, yeah, that's kind of how I like to frame the book. Um, yeah. Uh, I, I commend you for that. I also wrote a book myself that's uh, more science fictiony. Uh, and I kind of 
sprinkle the liberty topics here and there in there and it's not going to be very overt it's like if you're thinking about it i have like one character that will quote mises but it doesn't give the quote attribution at all so it's just like the right. character saying it so it's just something just like i'm going to plant that little mind virus and see where it goes from there type of thing so i I don't know. It's like sometimes I, I feel like I beat people over the head with the Liberty topics all day long. And then sometimes it's like, well, you know, you know, th this show or this movie has very strong themes in it and then try to get gauge the person's interest that way. Right. Yeah. Because whether or not Hollywood wants to believe this, they, they put out a lot of very Liberty uh, oriented movies and TV shows and they just don't realize it. <laughs> it's like Captain America Civil War comes to mind, you know, that this is not freedom, this is fear. It was like, right. we were all kind of sitting there, it was like, do the Russos, are they? And then it was like, nah, no, they can't be. <laughs> There's no way they could be. <laughs> I mean, my favorite is still The Matrix. I mean, it's just, it's oh, the yeah. best. I mean, it's it so describes the world that we're in now. I mean, have, did you see the whole metaverse thing? Have you seen anything about that? I, I saw Sweet Baby Ray's up on a bookshelf, you know, where you keep <laughs> all your barbecue sauces. Uh, and the one quote that I thought he was that everyone was lying and they were just kind of posting it as a meme was like, well, if you die in the metaverse, you die in real life. Right. You know, it's like Mark Zuckerberg is like trying to tell a joke. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure it failed. Right. You know, yeah. no doubt. I was like, there's no way he actually said that. Right. And then you go find the video and then you find the, the short little clip where he actually does say it. And he's got like this little smirk on his face. And I was like, oh, Mark, don't try to be funny. It's, it's just, but I mean, it's not you. If that's not the next step towards the matrix, I, I don't know what is. I mean, it, it like the videos I saw of it, it, it looked pretty damn close. I mean, it was, it was scary. Yeah. I guess a good, uh, Hollywood equivalent would probably be the movie surrogates with uh, Bruce Willis where they have like robots go and do their thing while they're in the pod at home. Right. And of course all the robots are like beautiful and very young looking and they're capable of doing a whole bunch of crazy stuff. And uh, of course, Bruce Willis rejects the pod at all costs and he has to be out there in the real world which was a uh, kind of a kind of a weird movie but uh i could i was like watching the whole thing going yeah this is coming next we're, we're right. gonna have robot <laughs> versions of ourselves going out there i mean that's that's the whole japanese model right i mean they they love the whole the, the idea of the sex robot right <laughs> <laughs> yeah the japanese are very weird about that uh, apologies to my japanese listeners you know exactly what i'm talking about right yeah i've, I've got a buddy from a previous job who he's his wife is japanese and we we crack on her all the time but it's <laughs> yeah i mean just look at some of their entertainment over there and it's I, i've pulled up like weird clips here and there i'm just kind of posted it's like there's no way this is a real movie i was like oh yes this is this is a real movie right. I think one of the weird ones was uh, Machine Gun Butt Girl. So every time that she was feeling bashful or feeling anxious, a machine gun would come out of her ass and start shooting people. I wish you know, for every was, for every weird thing a person day. does, there's got to be a guy who's got a fetish for that. Yeah, that's the what rule 34 of the internet. If you can think about it, there's probably porn for it. Right. <laughs> yeah, it was like, you just look at half of this stuff and it's like, how much cocaine was ingested? for this to come onto the screen. Kind of like the third I mean, Matrix movie. And they had to convince somebody to fund the thing too. So that's the yeah. other part of it. <laughs> yeah. I was uh, recently going over that with, um, uh, about the movie American Ninja with, uh, Howie Snowden from the lines of Liberty. And we even said, it was like this whole third act of this movie was just cocaine fueled. Cause at one point the, the, the black star Ninja has a laser beam and we were like, wait, what did he really have a laser? I was like, yeah, go back and watch that scene. There was a laser beam. 
So they're rushing, rushing to the bathroom every five minutes in between shoots, right? <laughs> it's all these little hand mirrors everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I think uh, jamming the culture, uh, culture jamming, uh, our ideas and topics and everything, I think that's probably going to be the way forward. Because, I mean, I can talk Rothbard and, you know, give all the quotes to my uh, lefty progressive friends and my uh, conservatoid uh, right friends and everything. And it's like at some at some level they'll get it, but then they'll want to twist it for their own uses, which that also right. irritates me. You know. So I think you know what's what's interesting is is I started reading my kids every night. I don't know, maybe thirteen years ago, something like that. Yeah. And just the fact that they learn so much from being told a story. Yeah. And and I went out of my way. One of the things that really pisses me off is if you buy new. Um, like fairy tale books, they'll take out a lot of the lesson and kind of Disneyize it. So I actually, oh, went, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I I went back and found a book that printed the original English fairy tales, so I could read read it as it is, and read it to the kids because you know in a lot of cases you know the hero of the story dies because they did something stupid. Yeah. Right. And that was kind and, of the lesson they they should have zigged <laughs> when they zag, right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. But in the Disney version, oh. The house burns down, but everybody's okay. You know, <laughs> there's no story to that. There's no moral, right? So I, I kind of like the idea of telling a story to show the moral as opposed to just beating somebody over the head about it, you yeah. know? Yeah, there's uh, lessons to be learned in some of those old old stories. And, you know, they were there for a reason. It was a way to teach kids without, you know, sitting them down in like classroom instruction time. Right. You know, it's like, oh, we're going to learn about, you know, Little Red Riding Hood and the and the huntsman out in the out in the forest. <laughs> yeah. Well, they're so engaging too, right? I mean, there's so there's always there's always either a monster under a bridge or, you know, a knight in shining armor or yeah. you know, something something that gets a kid gets a 5-year-old hooked in, right? <laughs> yeah, the, uh, I think the uh, the Tuttle Twins books do a pretty good job of that. Uh, I can at least get my 5-year-old uh, wanting to read about that stuff, but most of the time she says those are boring, which I, I think is kind of funny. And then she'll want to read some other kind of books. And then she's got one. It's just nothing but socialism. It's about the fish with the one sparkly scale. And it doesn't want to share with the other fish that that's that particular. I was like, I'm not reading this. I'm not. <laughs> I read through it once and I figured out what it was. I was like, no, we're not, we're not going to read about this. Fail. It's like no. fail. It's like, no, we're not, we're not looking at this one. <laughs> yeah. One of the, one of the favorites my kids loved, which, I don't know if you, do you read any of the Seuss books? Yeah, we've read a whole bunch of the Seuss books. Um, she likes uh, some of the cat in the hat stuff, but she finds the cat is annoying. So that, that gets kind of fun. <laughs> he's like, well, this cat is always here and he's just making these kids just lose their minds. I was like, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> so my kids love Fidwick the Big Hearted Moose. Have you, have you read that one? Oh, it's, it's been a minute. I probably haven't yeah. read that one since I was a kid. Back in the but it, basically, the moose is loaded with moochers, right? Yeah. People, people looking for a free place to stay. And at the end of the book, he chunks his antlers and they all die. So yeah. I'm like, yes, that's perfect. That's exactly what you do with the freeloader problem. That's right. <laughs> it's like, no, you're going to go on your own separate ways. You figure it out for yourself. So, yeah, uh, my story, uh, which I've got up on my sub stack right now. I've got all my chapters up there and everything. Um still trying to get it edited and and uh, put out there. I'm going to self-publish as well through Amazon. So looking forward to that process. 
So, I mean, do you have any uh, tips or uh, tricks about that for maybe anybody else that's listening? Yeah, that's a that's a good question. So, I my book is around ninety thousand words, and it took me about seven months to write it. it. Took me about six months to edit it. So, just right off the top, if this is your first book, you're going to need a lot of editing. Yeah. Um, and I would I I paid somebody, so I went on to Fiverr and found a professional who does this, you know, all the time. And unfortunately, due to the political nature of the book, I wanted to make sure I found somebody who you know wouldn't reject it just flat just out, out of right? hand. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I did have to screen several of them. In fact, it was funny as hell. One of the ones I said I was critical of uh, social justice, <laughs> and the guy replied back, "Well, please tell me what do you mean by critical?" I'm like, "Delete." <laughs> Next. Yeah. Yeah, if you don't understand that those two words don't belong together in a sentence. I, I exactly. <laughs> yeah. So anyways, I, I found an editor and and she was great. I mean, she sent me, you know, she went through the book and just ripped it apart. And, you know, I had already done my own editing previous to that. But getting her feedback and especially like it wasn't so much that I wrote things wrong. It's that she didn't understand how things tied together or you know, this one paragraph didn't okay. make sense or whatever, you know. And after having her point of view on, on looking at the story, I was like, all right, I can see that. So so her edits really made a big difference for me. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that, that would be the first thing is I would definitely recommend paying a real editor. Um, and the other thing is just you just got to do it. I don't know if you've read any of the um, self-publishing blogs out there. But they have the the idea that you write 500 words a day. Yeah. Um, and I didn't quite do that. But I mean, man, you just got to sit down and, and do it. I mean, it's one of those things. If you don't, it'll just drag on forever. Yeah. I think I averaged anywhere from about 750 to 1,100 words per day. That's that's pretty good. Yeah. And uh, over the course of several months, there, there would be days where I just wasn't writing anything. But so in order to make up for that, I'd just be, you know, pounding away at the keyboard. Yeah, my, my other thing of advice is to really, uh, you know, obviously everybody's got their own style of writing, but for me personally, laying out the plot of the book really helped a lot. Yeah. Because I actually started writing the book without the ending. So I, I mean, I kind of vaguely knew what I wanted, but I didn't know how all the pieces fit together. Right. And then about halfway through the book, I got the ending in my head. I was like, all right, I know how to do this. Yeah. But but I didn't want to write the ending first. I wanted to write everything in between. So then you really got to, you know, chug through the rest of it to get the book out. <laughs> yeah, it's like for me, I had this the the story just floating around in the old noggin up here for a long time. It was like just trying to get it out onto paper was was the big hurdle. And I was like, okay, and then we got to do this, and then in order to do this, we got to go through this uh, you know, roundabout thing of getting to the ending, and then once I got to the ending, I think I wrote it like four or five times. And then would come back to it. It's like, no, I don't like that. Just we scrap it and we do something else. <laughs> that's that's really funny because you know I had the complete opposite experience. Uh, I wrote the end of the book once. I wrote the beginning of the book about three times. <laughs> so, yeah, it just gets funny. I mean, because you have this this idea of how the story is going to play out, and then when you start writing it. I, I would notice I had my little outline set up off the off to the side, and I would kind of gaze over at it while I was, you know, just jotting, looking at my notes. And then uh, next thing I know, I'd be looking over, and I was like, "Oh wait, I took a turn here at Albuquerque that I shouldn't have turned at." <laughs> <laughs> right. 
It's like, why was I going off on that tra- on that tangent? We don't need to know that just yet. Type of stuff. Yeah, it was, it was kind of funny. So one one of the things I noticed when I was writing is is that I would have a you know like a a scene kind of worked out, and then as I'm doing the dialogue, I would just go, well, no, that just doesn't make sense. This person this person would never say that. Yeah, there's no way. And then I would just rethink the scene just right there. You know, it's just like, <laughs> here's what this person would really say, and you start you know banging it out. <laughs> Yeah, it's like I, I've caught myself doing that a few times. Be getting into a scene, I'll be doing a, a little string of dialogue, and the next thing you know, it's like, I was like, no, the bad guy really isn't gonna just kind of lay out his plan like this. That that tripe that trope has been done to death. You know, I kind of want him to keep his things close to the vest. You know, kind of let the hero kind of expose himself a little bit. You know? Right. <laughs> Mistake. You know. <laughs> so what's what's funny about what you just said there is is you know I wanted I didn't want my book to be cliche. Right. Yeah. So I, I really wanted to try to come up with something, I don't know, maybe exotic. But then as I got into it, I was like, you know what? Forget exotic. Maybe some cliches aren't so bad. You know? Yeah. Sometimes the cliches are there for a reason, much like stereotypes. You know, it's like it's like we've seen people do this a hundred times. Right. So, yeah, yeah sometimes it, it fits. Exactly. So I, I actually kind of reneged on that and go, yeah, all right, I'll I'll. I'll go ahead and put some cliches back in the book. Yeah. Just to make it where, you know, it's just more realistic. Yeah. Cause I mean, the average person that's going to read it, you know, hasn't had your life experience, may not even know the things that you're even talking about. Right. And if you try to hit them with like some kind of left, you know, left, uh, something out of left field, you know, it's like, wait a second, what's going on in the book? Let me reread the last couple of pages and maybe right. I'll miss something. Yeah. I, I've done yeah. that. Books. That's why, that's why I say that. So what's what's funny too is I've I've kind of geared the book towards somebody on the right because I I really think if somebody on the left read the book I mean they might like it but they're probably going to have a lot of issues with the politics of it right but but ideally it's a Republican who's red pilled that reads the book and you know helps them see more of the blue pill stuff right yeah. And, and, you know, obviously, I think anybody in the liberty movement is going to just love it immediately because it's I mean, the book speaks to us. Right. Yeah. Um, but really, the people that I want is like like I live in in Atlanta and the suburb that I'm in is it's very red. And I'm like, all these people around me need to read this book. You know, it's <laughs> it's kind of geared towards them. So, yeah, that's uh, that's kind of one of those things. Uh, if you live in a, a very red part of a blue city. Yeah. It gets really interesting because then, uh, like, some of the arguments like wouldn't make any sense. Like, if you were like out in the country somewhere, uh, and then just talking with some of the people, it's like, wait, why do you think this? Why, right. why do you think sending people to jail over this is a, a good idea? You know, <laughs> and it's because you know the proximity to the city. It was like, oh, we see these people, you know, gang banging all day long. That they have to right. go to jail for their drugs. And you're like, I said, okay, never mind. <laughs> we'll get there eventually. <laughs> Yeah, the the more people you have in an area, the more stupid ass rules you're gonna have. Right? Oh yeah, that's just, yeah. that's just gonna go without saying, right there. So. <laughs> right. Yeah, it gets pretty funny when I'm talking to people about you know where I live. I'm like right outside of Baton Rouge, Louisiana, and it was like, uh, so what what's the deed restrictions out there? Like, I was like, there is deed? none. <laughs> yeah. What? Yeah, what's that? It's like if I wanted to, I could live in a tiny house on my property, and nobody would say anything to me. Yeah, that's nice. Do you, do you have land? Like, you have some land that you're on too? Or? Yeah, it's like a little bit over an acre. So nice. Yeah, 
you know, nice little old lot. And it's like the house I'm in was like made in the 1920s. So. Oh, okay. But yeah, I mean, I've literally seen a camper trailer just parked on somebody's property, and that's that's their house. That right. That they live there. <laughs> they probably also have a car up on blocks too, right? Uh, surprisingly, no. It's a very nice truck. So okay. you know where the money is spent. <laughs> right. <laughs> very nice clothes, very nice truck, and just a shitty place to live. <laughs> right. So that, that sounds kind of similar to where I grew up. I grew up in South Carolina um, in Spartanburg, which back in those days was just this little sleepy Southern Baptist yeah. town. Yeah. yeah. Spartanburg was one of those places that, oh, this is Spartanburg. And then you drove through it and you just didn't stop. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's kind of like this blink. Gone. Oh, yeah. That was that was it. I was like, yeah, yep. it's one exit. Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, it's just so funny when I, when I look some of the people around here. They'll they'll have like a brand new Cadillac, but the house is falling apart, and that that part of it it just kind of drives me nuts. I was like, why are you sinking all of this money per month on a Cadillac for for a car that's going to be worth half the value in about six months? Yes, but yeah. but they're but they're blinging when they show up to the party, you know. <laughs> Yeah, I remember we used to pass this little farm. It was like a shack. And every year the guy would have a new Cadillac inside this like dilapidated shack. <laughs> Just like, why, man? Come on. <laughs> Priorities. And then yeah. we, uh, and then you start reading Mises and then it's like, oh, yeah, sometimes humans just behave irrationally and there's just nothing you can do about that. <laughs> yeah. That's funny. That's, uh, that's what happens when you give rednecks a whole bunch of money. So, <laughs> all right, man. Well, uh, that's probably a good place to leave it off. Uh, why don't you go ahead and uh, drop all your plugs and book and everything else? Sure. Uh, thanks again for letting me come on. I appreciate it. Oh, no problem. Um, I actually have a special offer for anybody watching for you specifically. So if they go to concordia.blog, that's my regular blog. Yep. If they just put in slash rebel, oh, they'll see. Go. Got a promo code. Uh, Yep, it's a promo code. And what I'm looking for is I need help with reviews. So anybody watching this, go get the book. You're going to love it. Go read it. Give me a five-star review, and I will buy you a shirt from Top Lobster. Oh, there we go. Top yeah. Lobster. Also a friend of the show. So Yeah. Well, I, I actually met him down in Tom Woods. Loved him. He's a great guy. Oh, yeah. He's fantastic. Um, yeah. And I, I'm more than happy to – I want to buy as many damn – Top lobster t-shirts as, as I possibly can. So guys, go out, review it. Go give me a five star. Um, follow me on Twitter because I'm on it pretty much every day. I don't do it all day long because I, I have a busy as hell schedule when I work. Right. But but yeah, I'm, I'm on uh, Twitter. It's one at one Concordia. So I'm very accessible. Hit me up. DM me if you have any questions about the book. You know anything like that. So. Yeah, and it all goes to to a good cause, trying to get Top Lobster to escape New York. So there That's you right. go. <laughs> all right, well, Rudy, thanks for uh, coming on. Uh, make sure that everyone checks down in the show notes below, and that's where they'll find all that information. Definitely go hit them up with those five-star reviews. So that's great. Thanks thank a lot, so. man. Yep, thank you. Enjoyed it. All right, and there he goes, folks. Rudy from the Concordia blog. Uh, definitely go check out all of those things down in the show notes below. Uh, definitely go give that guy some five stars. Uh, you know, and you get a, a shirt from Top Lobster. You know, this, like I was telling him, you know, we got to help Top Lobster escape New York. So there you go. 
Uh, also, while you're down there in the show notes, uh, check out my stuff as well. Uh, you can see my uh, coin tree links all in there, uh, as well as uh, going over to lorenzotti.coffee. And if you put in the promo code RWAC at checkout, you get 10% off all your purchases over there. Anything over the amount of $25 will get you free shipping, and you can't beat that deal with a stick. So anyways, guys, uh, take it easy, and we'll come at you next time with a brand new episode of Rebel with a Cause. Out. <laughs>